Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 687. Quoth continued in a musing tone. That means anyone influenced by the Cathay would be like an arrow shot into the future. An arrow only hits one person, Reshi. Bast's dark eyes were hollow and hopeless. Anyone influenced by the Cathay is like a plague ship sailing for a harbor. Bast pointed at the half-filled sheet Chronicler held in his lap. If the Sitha knew that existed, they would spare no effort to destroy it. They would kill us for having heard what the Cathay said. Because anything carrying the Cathay's influence away from the tree, Quoth said, looking down at his hands. He sat silent for a long moment, nodding thoughtfully. So a young man seeking his fortune goes to the Cathay and takes away a flower. The daughter of the king is deathly ill, and he takes the flower to heal her. They fall in love despite the fact that she's betrothed to the neighboring prince. Bast stared at Quoth, watching blankly as he spoke. They attempt a daring moonlight escape, Quoth continued, but he falls from the rooftops, and they're caught. The princess is married against her will and stabs the neighboring prince on their wedding night. The prince dies, civil war, fields burned and salted, famine, plague. That's the story of the fasting's way war, Bast said faintly. Quoth nodded. It's one of the stories Florian told. I never understood the part about the flower until now. She never mentioned the Cathay. She wouldn't have, Reshi. It's considered bad luck. He shook his head. No, not bad luck. It's like spitting poison in someone's ear. It simply isn't done. Chronicler recovered some of his composure and slid his chair back towards... Chronicler recovered some of his composure and slid his chair back toward the table, still holding the sheet carefully. He frowned at the table, broken and streaked with beer and ink. It seems like this creature has quite a reputation, he said. But I find it hard to believe it's quite as dangerous as all that. Bass looked at Chronicler incredulously. Iron and bile, he said, his voice quiet. You think I'm a child? Do you think I don't know the difference between a campfire story and the truth? Chronicler made a mollifying gesture with one hand. That's not what I... Without taking his eyes from Chronicler, Bast laid his bloody palm flat on the table. The wood groaned and the broken timbers snapped back into place with a sudden crackling sound. Bast lifted his hand, then brought it down sharply on the table, and the dark runnels of ink and beer suddenly twisted and shaped themselves into a jet-black crow that burst into flight, circling the taproom once. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Did Bast just- Bast's close-up magic show. 
Yeah, why? Like, what? Like, did he just feel like showing off? What is the point? I mean, yes, I think, I think he's so. demonstrating he to Chronicler, like, you have no idea, like, what I am or what I can do. What makes you think that I don't know exactly what I'm talking about? Because I could do this. And you did, like, until you saw me do this just now, you wouldn't have believed it was possible. So you don't know anything. This is kind of the first display of this kind of power that we've seen from Bast. I can't think of anything similar. Yeah. I, I yeah, this feels what too specific. In the lightning tree. Yeah, well that's like even if he does do magic stuff like this in the lightning tree that came out after this book, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and we're not talking about it yet. And he it, it it does like the point of it is that it's effortless and casual like he does it without thinking about it, I think. Yeah, it so it makes me kind of wonder what you know is this is this illusion he repairs the break in the countertop so i don't think it's illusion about that uh maybe he can like he can un he can undo damage he's done or something like because he's the one who caused the the break in the countertop he can undo it um i I I certainly don't think of him as being like a incredibly powerful being with reality powers i do think that it's limited to some kind of fey shapery or or it's it's grammary, as Valerian explained it. It's the difference between making things be and making things seem. I don't think the crow is an illusion because he makes it out of the spilled beer and ink, and that doesn't come back later. Like, that's gone. So he turns it into something else. Hmm. I guess it's kind of like the shade. I, I, I mean, feel like the shade took, like, a lot of time and effort and toil to create, whereas... The crow, which is alive and theoretically should take a lot of time and effort to create, didn't? I would suggest that's because it's permanent. The shade is permanent and therefore requires a lot of time and painstaking effort, whereas this is just a quick show. Yeah, quick the crow's not meant to last. State. Yeah. And I, I, I also, you know, I don't think it's super important to the story, but I don't think that metaphysically speaking, the crow is alive. I think it it's not an illusion because it has substance. But I think it is like a simulacrum. It's it's a it's a, a golem. It's not like a, a living bird. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I don't think it has a soul. So Quoth is recounting one of the stories that Falurian told him, and it seems like he's done this a couple times, and maybe he will continue to. And so uh, maybe this was like Falurian's way of warning him about the Cathay, and she just like because it's the convention of the Fae to not mention it, didn't mention it. Yeah, and then Quoth didn't pick up on it because he doesn't that's... know that convention, right? Like, yeah, or th- or there's a message here, or a um, a what's the word in a fable? There's a moral. There's like a message in it that he can't pick up on because of cultural uh, mores, cultural specifics. Because clearly he knows the story, and even Bast is saying like, you know all these things, you know about the this thing and the that thing. How can you not know about the Cathay? So it seems like there's, we, I think we recall, I, I think I remember mentioning when Fulurian was telling him the stories in the, in the story. Like, I don't, I think I said something to the effect of, I don't remember if this comes up again. And clearly it does because Quoth now knows a bunch of Fae stories, but it seems like he doesn't get them. Well, but in the same he, way that he like gets the, the depth of a story that like the Ruh tell. But that's not 
it's not like a failing on his part. It's I would I would argue that it's actually it's the Fey taboo against mentioning the Cathay backfiring, right? Because the point of that taboo is we don't bring it up so that people won't go seeking it out. But if we stop mentioning that it exists altogether, then people won't understand when we're telling a story about it and why it's bad. Well, I, I think I, I explained it to myself just now. And so I realized something. It is essentially the equivalent of the Ra stories because Quoth will tell the stories that the Ra tell each other about the different travelers. And he explains after the fact that the message here is that you look for these signs when you're traveling to expect certain kinds of treatment. You look for these signs uh, when you're visiting other Ra to see if they are true Ra. And you give these signs to other Ra to indicate that it's a safe place. And that's not something that non-Ra would necessarily pick up on unless Quoth had explained it to them or unless that they were part of the culture and the community. So here is an interesting through line, an interesting similarity between the culture of the Fae and the culture of the Ra. And now I'm not suggesting that they're literally related, but I do think that it's an interesting cultural similarity and I don't think it's next. I'm sure you're not suggesting that. I would never think that you would suggest such a thing. Even if that isn't true, I think that the another truth that it's pointing out is simply that there are some stories that people tell that have a lot of cultural context to them. And if you're not from that culture, then you won't be picking up on those nuances unless someone explains them to you. My mom told me like years ago after she had seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that she was talking to like a a colleague of hers who was Chinese. And they explained that like in the scene where the young ingenue who's stolen the Green Destiny goes to the tea house and like completely trashes the place She's reciting a really famous poem while she does it, but the subtitles don't translate that poem literally. They kind of just like give her like a a bragging speech. So the context of what she's doing there is culturally very different, but you wouldn't know that if you aren't, you know, a Mandarin speaker and you're not familiar with like what that poem is and what it signifies. Interesting. And I like the implication that there is a deep and complex culture to the Fae, which is striking to me because we don't really see it. We see Felurian who is almost barbaric in her elementalness. And then we see Bast who is an immigrant essentially. So we don't really get a sense of fey culture, at least not in these books and certainly not firsthand. We only get it secondhand. Yeah. See, I want to push back on you there. Cause I think we do get a sense for fey culture. We just don't see it directly, but through what Fulurian and Bast tell us about Fey culture, we do learn a lot. Like we know that there is a Fey court, that there are different domains and there are Fey aristocrats and there are rules about how they move around the mortal world and that they have stories that they tell their children and that they have cultural taboos and all these, like we learn lots about the Fey, but we don't ever see a lot of that firsthand. And I think that's for the good because that allows it to be mysterious and magical. I guess so. I like to be shown, not told. Uh, so maybe it'll come up. Maybe Quoth will go and spend some time at the court and maybe he will gather Bast. No, that would be bad. I I think that would be a bad idea. Well, <laughs> I think that would, that would cheapen the Fae and make them less interesting. I'm inclined to agree with you, but he does need to gather Bast somewhere. No, Bast can just show up. Bast can come from somewhere. He does not have to get him. 
Yeah, I yeah, I agree. All with right. That. Like I really do get the sense that Bast came to Quoth and was like, teach me stuff. Quoth did not like acquire him as a sidekick. Bast came to Quoth, the wise hero of legend, to learn from him. We'll see. There is no evidence of that anywhere. You are imagining a story that does not exist. Good sir. I mean, there's no evidence for for anything right now. <laughs> there's as much evidence. There's uh, yeah. There's as much evidence for Quoth finding Bast as there is for Bast going and looking for Quoth. Okay. Well, what if? Okay, and I'm definitely the only person who's ever thought of this. Okay, what if I'm the <laughs> only person that exists, and everyone else is just a construct because. I'm the only verifiable entity, so therefore, my theories are more likely to be true. Nick, it sounds to me like you would really enjoy the works of a, of a, a certain 20th century philosopher and novelist. Uh, I think you might find that she has a lot to say to you. Oh, really? Okay, I'd love to, I'd love to learn more about this, this great mm. thinker of our time. Yeah, she's all about being objective. She's super into objectivism. Oh, well, I have object prominence, so I can probably figure out what she's talking about. <laughs> are you sure if I hold these jingling keys up to you and then put them behind my back, where do you think they've gone? What keys? They're, they're, I don't see them anymore. <laughs> you don't have them anymore. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Uh, I'll okay. tell you when you're older. Jordana, um, go play Bioshock. You'll learn everything you need to know by playing Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> Unironically true, yeah. I don't want to like turn this into a whole thing, but I do... I was talking with a mutual friend of ours who's also a writer about the idea of showing, not telling. And I think that that idea has been taken wildly out of context by all the worst pedants in the world. And as a consequence, people have internalized a lot of very bad ideas about writing. Uh, there are times when it is appropriate to, t- to show someone something. And there are times when it is appropriate to tell someone something. And it is important to know when to do which one but they are both perfectly legitimate and useful ways of delivering information in a story. And neither one is inherently worse than the other in all circumstances. Yeah. I think show don't tell is really meant for film uh, rather than prose. And I also think that it's one of those rules that because it's easily sound biteable is, is quickly internalized and misunderstood much like save the cat. What is save the cat? Save the Cat is interesting. Save the Cat is, is again, it's a film technique, but it also works in, in, in prose and storytelling. It's a technique where if you have a character who is maybe a little bit shady and we're like, you know, they're kind of a tough person or like not the best person, you have a scene early on where they do something uh, objectively kind, like save a cat, so that you know throughout the whole movie that they're like ultimately a good person even if they're kind of rough around the edges and once you recognize it you'll start to see it in all kinds of movies at the very least it gets you on the side of the protagonist if they're like a hard-bitten hard-drinking private eye who doesn't care about anybody but they like give a kid a lollipop then you are a little bit more inclined to like be interested in them and see where their story goes um i like show i think that when it comes to show don't tell that's just a that is a useful thing to keep in mind in when you're writing prose just as much as when you're working in film, but the way you apply it is different, you know? Um, Cause w- like one of the things that prose can do that film really can't is 
give you a sense of a character's interiority. So you can have like a paragraph that is just a character's inner monologue where you are like, tell you know, you are sh- where you're like, we're, we're getting a window with like what their inner monologue is, what they are thinking at that moment. And that's telling us what they are thinking, but that's also showing us, you know, what kind of person they are that they think this in this scenario and they are coming to X conclusion about Y thing, you know? So, and you like, it would be a waste of the medium to not keep that tool in your toolbox. Yes. Because like yeah, that, you can't have like you you can have voiceover in film, but it's pretty passe most of the time. It's really hard to do it in a way that doesn't feel kind of hackneyed and cliche. Anyway, yeah. I recognize that we're getting like, off the like page. any of these rules of thumb. It's beneficial to follow them, but also it's beneficial to know when to break them. And it's also this is also kind of fun and interesting now because we now have a very um, savvy audience who's used to these kind of things and, and tropes and whatnot. Now you can kind of play with the breaking of the rules, the violation of the rules or the subverting of the tropes in interesting ways. Cause we, you know, nowadays it's so common to have a save the cat moment that you can kind of do something with it uh, for storytelling purposes. But as you say, we are a little bit off uh, of our track today, which never happens usually. The only other thing that I wanted to bring up on this page is that I just love the line, uh, anyone influenced by the Cathay would be like an arrow shot into the future. That's just a very pleasing, high concept, big brain sentence. Uh, and it tickles me in my in my pithy line, funny bone. I, I Which is a shame because it's, it's such a striking line, but it's also not a good metaphor, as Bast immediately tells us. The better metaphor is that it's like a plague ship sailing for harbor. Which is certainly more, uh, it's not like, I, I think that the arrow, like the arrow shot into the future is the line I remembered also when I was thinking about the Cathay. But I think that the plague ship sailing for harbor is a better metaphor for Bast explaining why it's so calamitous that Quoth spoke to the Cathay and also uh, helping to kind of understand the reader, like let the reader understand as well. But I agree that like, I literally remembered that line an arrow shot into the future when I was preparing to read this chapter. They're useful ideas, I think, because they build on each other. Like the shooting an arrow into the future is useful for us understanding that like, this is a thing that might not hit a target in your vicinity. It's going to, it's going to affect somebody far down the line. And Bass idea is like, it's not just going to affect one person. It's going to cause a chain reaction of calamity. This reminds me of, there's a bit of world building in Mass Effect, uh, which is, of course, a game set in space and there are space warships. Um, And as a bit of world building, it's mentioned that they use projectile weapons, or at least the humans do. And there's a bit of business that you can encounter when you're kind of walking around. You can encounter a drill sergeant dressing down a bunch of gunners and he's yelling at them for for firing wantonly in space. And he basically says that, like, (laughs) there's no friction in space. That projectile you fired is going to fly through space for a very long time. And then millions of years later, it's going to hit somebody and it's going to kill them. Which this makes me think about is like launching a projectile that's just going to go and go and go and go and go. You have no idea where it's going to go or who it's going to hurt, but it will hurt somebody eventually. And I always mm. thought that was a really interesting idea. Jordana, do you have any other thoughts um, on this page? I was so distracted by that space projectile thing that uh, all the thoughts are gone. <laughs> uh, 
Listeners, you heard it here first. Jordana is head empty, no thoughts, and uh, we will all be brain scrambled egg on tomorrow's uh. page. <laughs> the wind. Wee.